Chapter Two, Part Four of Castle Rackrent by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. I was vexed to see my lady so insensible too, for all she said was, "This is very genteel of you, Sir Condy. You need not wait any longer, Thady." So I just picked up the pen and ink that had tumbled on the floor and heard my master finish with saying you behaved very genteel to me my lady when you threw all the little you had in your power along with yourself into my hands and as i don't deny but what you may have had some things to complain of to be sure he was thinking then of judy or of the whisky punch one or t'other or both and as i don't deny but you may have had something to complain of my dear it is but fair you should have something in the form of compensation to look forward to agreeably in the future. Besides, it's an act of justice to myself that none of your friends, my dear, may ever have it to say against me I married for money and not for love. That is the last thing I should ever have thought of saying to you, Sir Condy, said my lady, looking very gracious. Then, my dear, said Sir Condy, we shall part as good friends as we met. So all's right. I was greatly rejoiced to hear this, and went out to the parlour to report it all to the kitchen. The next morning my lady and Mrs. Jane set out for Mount Juliet's town in the jaunting car. Many wondered at my lady's choosing to go away, considering all things, upon the jaunting car, as if it was only a party of pleasure but they did not know till I told them that the coach was all broke in the journey down, and no other vehicle but the car to be had. Besides, my lady's friends were to send their coach to meet her at the crossroads, so it was all done very proper. My poor master was in great trouble after my lady left us. The execution came down, and everything at Castle Rackrent was seized by the grippers and my son Jason, to his shame, be it spoken amongst them. I wondered, for the life of me, how he could harden himself to do it, but then he had been studying the law, and had made himself a turny quirk, so he brought down at once a heap of accounts upon my master's head, to cash lent, and to ditto, and to ditto, and to ditto, and oats, and bills paid at the milliners, and linen drapers, and many dresses for the fancy balls in Dublin for my lady, and all the bills to the workmen and tradesmen for the scenery of the theatre, and the chandlers and grocers' bills, and tailors, besides butchers and bakers, and, worse than all, the old one of that base wine-merchants, that wanted to arrest my poor master for the amount on the election day, for which amount Sir Condy afterwards passed his note of hand, bearing lawful interest from the date thereof. And the interest and compound interest was now mounted to a terrible deal on many other notes and bonds for money borrowed. And there was, besides, hush money to the sub-sheriffs, and sheets upon sheets of old and new attorney's bills with heavy balances as per former account furnished brought forward with interest thereon then there was a powerful deal due to the crown for sixteen years arrears of quit-rent of the townlands of carrick shochlan with drivers fees 
and a compliment to the receiver every year for letting the quitrent run on to oblige Sir Condy and Sir Kit afore him. Then there were bills for spirits and ribbons at the election time, and the gentlemen of the committee's accounts unsettled, and their subscription never gathered. And there were cows to be paid for, with the smith and farrier's bills to be set against the rent of the domain, with cough and hay money. Then there was all the servants' wages, since I don't know when, coming due to them, and sums advanced for them by my son Jason for clothes and boots and whips, and odd money for sundries expended by them in journeys to town and elsewhere, and pocket money for the master continually, and messengers and postage before his being a parliament man. I can't myself tell you what besides, but this I know, that when the evening came on the which Sir Condy had appointed to settle all with my son Jason, and when he comes into the parlour and sees the sight of bills and load of papers, all gathered on the great dining-table for him, he puts his hands before both his eyes and cried out, Merciful Jesus, what is it I see before me? Then I sets an armchair at the table for him, and with a deal of difficulty he sits him down, and my son Jacob hands him over the pen and ink to sign this man's bill and t'other man's bill, all which he did without making the least objections. Indeed, to give him his due, I never seen a man more fair and honest and easy in all his dealings from first to last as Sir Condy, or more willing to pay every man his own as far as he was able, which is as much as any one can do. Well, says he, joking like with Jason, I wish we could settle it all with the stroke of my grey goose quill. What signifies making me wade through all this ocean of paper here? Can't you now, who understands drawing out an account, debtors and creditors, just sit down here at the corner of the table and get it done out for me, that I may have a clear view of the balance, which is all I need to be talking about, you know? Very true, Sir Condy. Nobody understands business better than yourself, says Jason. So I have a right to do, being born and bred to the bar, says Sir Condy. Thady, do step out and see are they bringing in the things for the punch, for we've just done all we have to do for this evening. I goes out accordingly, and when I came back, Jason was pointing to the balance, which was a terrible sight to my poor master. Pooh, 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 says he, there's so many noughts, they dazzle my eyes, so they do and put me in mind of all I suffered learning of my numeration table when I was a boy at the day-school along with you, Jason. Units, tens, hundreds, tens of hundreds. Is the punch ready, Thady? says he, seeing me. Immediately. The boy has the jug in his hand, and is coming upstairs, please your honour, as fast as possible, says I, for I saw his honour was tired out of his life. But Jason, very short and cruel, cuts me off with, Don't be talking of punch yet a while. It's no time for punch yet a bit. Units, tens, hundreds, goes he on, counting over the master's shoulder. Units, tens, hundreds, thousands. Aha! Hold your hand, cries my master. Where in this wide world am I to find hundreds, or units itself, let alone thousands? 
the balance has been running on too long says jason sticking to him as i could not have done at the time if you'd have given both the indies and cork to boot the balance has been running on too long and i'm distressed myself on your account sir condy for money and the thing must be settled now on the spot and the balance cleared off says jason i'll thank you if you'll only show me how says sir condy there's but one way says jason and that's ready enough when there's no cash what can a gentleman do but go to the land how can you go to the land and it under custodium to yourself already says sir condy and another custodium hanging over it and no one at all can touch it you know but the custodies sure can't you sell though at a loss sure you can sell and i've a purchaser ready for you says jason have you so says sir condy that's a great point gained but there's a thing now beyond all that perhaps you don't know yet barring thady has let you into the secret sirrah bit of a secret or anything at all of the kind has he learned from me these fifteen weeks come st john's eve says i for we have scarce been upon speaking terms of late but what is it your honour means of a secret why the secret of the little keepsake i gave my lady rackrent the morning she left us that she might not go back empty-handed to her friends my lady rackrent i'm sure has baubles and keepsakes enough as those bills on the table will show says jason but whatever it is says he taking up his pen we must add it to the balance for to be sure it can't be paid for no nor can't till after my decease says sir condy that's one good thing then colouring up a good deal he tells jason of the memorandum of the five hundred a year jointure he had settled upon my lady at which jason was indeed mad and said a great deal in very high words that it was using a gentleman who had the management of his affairs and was moreover his principal creditor extremely ill to do such a thing without consulting him and against his knowledge and consent to all which sir condy had nothing to reply but that upon his conscience it was in a hurry and without a moment's thought on his part and he was very sorry for it but if it was to do over again he would do the same and he appealed to me and i was ready to give my evidence if that would do to the truth of all he said so jason with much ado was brought to agree to a compromise the purchaser that i have ready says he will be much displeased to be sure at the encumbrance on the land but i must see and manage him here's a deed ready drawn up we have nothing to do but to put in the consideration money and our names to it and how much am i going to sell the lands of oshochlinstown and the lands of grinagulahan and the lands of crooknawartog says he just reading to himself and oh murder jason sure you won't put this in the castle stable and appurtenance of castle rackrent oh murder says i clapping my hands this is too bad jason why so said jason when it's all and a great deal more to the back of it lawfully mine was i to push for it 
Look at him, says I, pointing to Sir Condy, who was just leaning back in his armchair, with his arms falling beside him, like one stupefied. Is it you, Jason, that can stand in his presence, and recollect all he has been to us, and all we have been to him, and yet use him so at the last? Who will you find to use him better, I ask you, said Jason. If he can get a better purchaser, I am content. I only offer to purchase, to make things easy, and oblige him, though I don't see what compliment I am under, if you come to that. I have never had, asked, or charged more than sixpence in the pound, receiver's fees, and where would he have got an agent for a penny less? Oh, Jason, Jason, how will you stand to this in the face of the county, and all who know you, says I, and what will people think and say when they see you living here in Castle Rackrent, and the lawful owner turned out of the seat of his ancestors, without a cabin to put his head into, or so much as a potato to eat. Jason, whilst I was saying this, and a great deal more, made me signs and winks and frowns, but I took no heed, for I was grieved and sick at heart for my poor master, and couldn't but speak. Here's the punch, says Jason, for the door opened. Here's the punch. Hearing that, my master starts up in his chair, and recollects himself, and Jason uncorks the whisky. Set down the jug here, says he, making room for it beside the papers opposite to Sir Condy, but still not stirring the deed that was to make over all. Well, I was in great hopes he had some touch of mercy about him when I saw him making the punch, and my master took a glass. But Jason put it back as he was going to fill it again, saying, no, Sir Condy, it shan't be said of me I got your signature to this deed when you were half seas over. You know your name and handwriting in that condition would not, if brought before the courts, benefit me a straw. Wherefore, let us settle all, before we go deeper into the punch-bowl. Settle all as you will, said Sir Condy, clapping his hands to his ears. But let me hear no more. I'm bothered to death this night. You've only to sign, said Jason, putting the pen to him. Take all, and be content, said my master. So he signed, and the man who brought in the punch witnessed it, for I was not able, but crying like a child. And besides, Jason said, which I was glad of, that I was no fit witness, being so old and doting. It was so bad with me, I could not taste a drop of the punch itself, though my master himself, God bless him, in the midst of his troubles, poured out a glass for me, and brought it up to my lips. Not a drop. I thank your honour's honour as much as if I took it, though, and I just set down the glass as it was, and went out. And when I got to the street door, the neighbour's children, who were playing at marbles there, seeing me in great trouble, left their play, and gathered about me to know what ailed me. And I told them all for it was a great relief to me to speak to these poor children that seemed to have some natural feeling left in them and when they were made sensible that sir condy was going to leave castle rackrent for good and all they set up a willaloo that could be heard to the farthest end of the street and one fine boy he was that my master had given an apple to that morning cried the loudest 
but they all were the same sorry for Secondi was greatly beloved amongst the childer for letting them go a nutting in the domain without saying a word to them though my lady objected to them the people in the town who were the most of them standing at their doors hearing the childer cry would know the reason of it and when the report was made known the people one and all gathered in great anger against my son jason and terror at the notion of his coming to be landlord over them and they cried no jason no jason sir condy sir condy sir condy rackrent for ever and the mob grew so great and so loud i was frightened and made my way back to the house to warn my son to make his escape or hide himself for fear of the consequences jason would not believe me till they came all round the house and to the windows with great shouts then he grew quite pale and asked sir condy what he had best do i'll tell you what you had best do said sir condy who was laughing to see his fright finish your glass first then let's go to the window and show ourselves and i'll tell em or you shall if you please that i'm going to the lodge for change of air for my health and by my own desire for the rest of my days do so said jason who never meant it should have been so but could not refuse him the lodge at this unseasonable time accordingly sir condy threw up the sash and explained matters and thanked all his friends and bid them look in at the punch-bowl and observe that jason and he had been sitting over it very good friends so the mob was content and he sent them out some whisky to drink his health and that was the last time his honour's health was ever drunk at castle rackrent the very next day being too proud as he said to me to stay an hour longer in a house that did not belong to him he set off to the lodge and i along with him not many hours after and there was great bemoaning through all o'shochlandstown which i stayed to witness and gave my poor master a full account of when i got to the lodge he was very low and in his bed when i got there and complained of a great pain about his heart but i guessed it was only trouble and all the business let alone vexation he had gone through of late and knowing the nature of him from a boy i took my pipe and whilst smoking it by the chimney began telling him how he was beloved and regretted in the county and it did him a deal of good to hear it your honour has a great many friends yet that you don't know of rich and poor in the county says i for as i was coming along the road i met two gentlemen in their own carriages who asked after you knowing me and wanted to know where you was and all about you and even how old i was think of that then he wakened out of his doze and began questioning me who the gentlemen were and the next morning it came into my head to go unknown to anybody with my master's compliments round to many of the gentlemen's houses where he and my lady used to visit and people that i knew were his great friends and would go to cork to serve him any day in the year and i made bold to try to borrow a trifle of cash from them they all treated me very civil for the most part and asked a great many questions very kind about my lady and sir condy and all the family and were greatly surprised to learn from me castle rackrent was sold and my master at the lodge for health 
and they all pitied him greatly, and he had their good wishes, if that would do, but money was a thing they unfortunately had not, any of them at this time to spare. I had my journey for my pains, and I, not used to walking, nor supple as formerly, was greatly tired, but had the satisfaction of telling my master when I got to the lodge all the civil things said by high and low. Thady, says he, all you've been telling me brings strange thoughts into my head. I've a notion I shall not be long for this world anyhow, and I've a great fancy to see my own funeral before I die. I was greatly shocked at the first speaking to hear him speak so lightly about his funeral, and he to all appearances in good health, but recollecting myself answered, To be sure, it would be as fine a sight as one could see, I dared to say, and one I should be proud to witness, and I did not doubt his honours would be as great a funeral as ever Sir Patrick O'Shaughlin's was, and such a one as had never been known in the county afore or since. But I never thought he was in earnest about seeing his own funeral himself, till the next day he returns to it again. Thady, says he, as far as the wake goes, sure, I might without any great trouble have the satisfaction of seeing a bit of my own funeral. Footnote. A wake, in England, is a meeting avowedly for merriment. In Ireland, it is a nocturnal meeting avowedly for the purpose of watching and bewailing the dead, but in reality for gossiping and debauchery. See Glossary 28. End of footnote. Well, since your honour's honour so bent upon it, says I, not willing to cross him and he in trouble, we must see what we can do. So he fell into a sort of sham disorder, which was easy done as he kept his bed, and no one to see him. And I got my sister, who was an old woman very handy about the sick, and very skilful to come up to the lodge to nurse him, and we gave out, she knowing no better, that he was just at his latter end, and it answered beyond anything. And there was a great throng of people, men, women, and children, and there being only two rooms at the lodge, except what was locked up full of Jason's furniture and things, the house was soon as full and fuller than it could hold, and the heat and smoke and noise wonderful great, and standing amongst them that was near the bed, but not thinking at all of the dead, I was startled by the sound of my master's voice from under the greatcoats that had been thrown all at top, and I went close up, no one noticing. Thady, says he, I've had enough of this, I'm smothering, and I can't hear a word of all they're saying of the deceased. God bless you, and lie still and quiet, says I, a bit longer, for my sister's afraid of ghosts, and would die on the spot with fright was she to see you come to life all on a sudden this way, without the least preparation. So he lays him still, though well nigh stifled, and I made all haste to tell the secret of the joke, whispering to one and to other, and there was a great surprise, but not so great as we had laid out it would. And aren't we to have the pipes and tobacco after coming so far to-night, said some, but they were all well enough pleased when his honour got up to drink with them, and sent for more spirits from a shabine house, where they very civilly let him have it upon credit. Footnote. Shabine house a hedge alehouse. Shabine properly means 
weak small beer taplash end of footnote so the night passed off very merrily but to my mind sir condy was rather upon the sad order in the midst of it all not finding there had been such a great talk about himself after his death as he had always expected to hear the next morning when the house was cleared of them and none but my sister and myself left in the kitchen with sir condy one opens the door and walks in and who should it be but judy mcquirk herself I forgot to notice that she had been married long since, whilst young Captain Monigal lived at the lodge, to the captain's huntsman, who after a while enlisted, and left her, and was killed in the wars. Poor Judy fell off greatly in her good looks after her being married a year or two, and being smoke-dried in the cabin, and neglecting herself like. It was hard for Sir Condy himself to know her again till she spoke. But when she says, It's Judy McQuirk, please, Your Honour, don't you remember her? Oh, Judy, is it you? says His Honour. Yes, sure, I remember you very well, but you're greatly altered, Judy. Sure, it's time for me, says she, and I think Your Honour, since I seen you last, but that's a great while ago, is altered too. And with reason, Judy, says Sir Condy, fetching a sort of sigh, but how's this, Judy? he goes on. I take it a little amiss of you that you were not at my wake last night. Ah, don't be being jealous of that, says she. I didn't hear a sentence of your honour's wake till it was all over, or it would have gone hard with me, but I would have been at it, sure. But I was forced to go ten miles up the country three days ago to a wedding of a relation of my own's, and didn't get home till after the wake was over. But says she it won't be so i hope the next time please your honour footnote at the coronation of one of our monarchs the king complained of the confusion which happened in the procession the great officer who presided told his majesty that it should not be so next time End of footnote. that we shall see judy says his honour and may be sooner than you think for for I've been very unwell this while past, and don't reckon anyway I'm long for this world. End of chapter 2, part 4